The San Diego City Council approved two major pieces of housing legislation this week. The first would require developers to build more low-income units. It passed 5-4. to four. The other would give incentives for building units targeted at middle incomes. As San Diego grapples with homelessness and a housing crisis, these moves show the city's ongoing efforts to turn the tide. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. David Garrick, you cover City Hall for the Union Tribune. And there was some dramatic action at the City Hall yesterday. When you explain, what was this new inclusionary housing policy that was put into place? Well, it's a controversial policy that was opposed strongly by developers in the business community. It would basically force developers to build low-income housing along with market-rate housing when they pursue a project. And basically, how would this work? What are the these policies that would force developers to do this? Uh, basically, the city has had a policy on the books since 2003 saying when you build a project, 10% of the units need to be low income or you have to pay a certain fee. Uh, most of the developers have ended up paying the fee, and critics say that the fee hasn't really raised enough money to build a number of units that if, if the city had required the units themselves. So the, Georgette Gomez, council president, decided, hey, this is not working. We need to revise this. She spent two years coming up with a plan to do it. She had a consultant study it to make sure that the rules wouldn't be so strict that just Mm -hmm. no housing would get built. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she came up with a proposal that a business community and the developers still didn't like it. Uh, And she tried to move forward with it yesterday and it narrowly passed at a 5-4 vote. You don't see too many 5-4 votes at city council. So it was very contentious. And when you explain um, what were the kind of main arguments on both sides with this 5-4 vote, which we usually don't see because we have a supermajority of Democrats. Yes. Um, well, the arguments in favor are we have a huge homelessness problem and we have a housing crisis and the rules we have now clearly are not working. We need to try something more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then the argument on the other side is developers aren't uh, uh, charities. And if you put too many restrictions and they're too onerous on them, they're going to start building in outside of San Diego and other cities. They're going to uh, focus. Uh, national builders won't come to San Diego. And people who own property, instead of saying, I want to put a housing development on my property, they're going to go with a commercial or retail development because they don't have to deal with these rules. And uh, how did people buy those arguments from the developers and economists, too, saying that, hey, this goes too far? Well, different people uh, felt differently about them. Obviously, the five Democrats who voted in favor of doing it felt like their arguments were overblown. Uh, the two Republicans and Independent who voted against it thought that their arguments made more sense. Vivian Moreno is sort of the interesting case because she's the only Democrat who voted against it. Uh-huh. And she is chairman of the council's housing committee. So theoretically, she's someone with some expertise in the issue. Uh, she just felt very strongly that this was going to do more harm than good. She understands the idea behind it. She feels like it, it has some merit, but she feels like the way that it's set up now, it would actually reduce housing construction. Because mm-hmm. it does seem right now there is lots of construction, but it's mostly luxury apartments, especially in downtown and Little Italy. No, exactly. Well, if you want to jump to our second item, that's sort of the key reason behind our second item. It's for moderate income housing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the, the running idea is that there's a lot of housing being built in San Diego for high-end people 
almost like second homes for people who are wealthy and live elsewhere. Uh-huh. And then there's a lot of housing being built for the low-income people because it's subsidized by the government. And that the real problem is there are not enough housing being built for people in the middle, people making 80% to 120% of the area's median income. And the area's median income may sound high. It's been rising. is 83000 now. Uh-huh. So uh, so basically people making 60000 up to about 100000 uh, There's no housing being built for them, and so they're they're struggling to find housing. And these are the kind of people that would likely commute long distances and live elsewhere and come to San Diego. So without that middle ground, you have this kind of extreme have and have nots with people who live in the city. No, and, and the way that they're selling it is talking about nurses, te- nurses, teachers, and firefighters, and that's true. But it's also newspaper reporters and insurance salesmen, you know, and, and those kind of people. And it's really the huge, the middle class in San Diego that's really probably taking the most brunt of the housing crisis the last few years. And uh, was this policy also kind of as contentious as the other one? Not at all. It passed unanimously, and it was considered a no-brainer. One element, though, was that the Democrats and the most progressive members in the council didn't want to adopt the moderate income housing policy without having first adopted the inclusionary because they see them as companion and they feel like if we're not going to force developers to build enough low-income housing, then we can't really be helping out the middle class when we haven't helped out the poor. So they wanted to make sure the two things were adopted together. That's why they were on the same day. It made for a very hectic council day. Mm-hmm. But it was, it, was, it was symbolic and important for the council, at least the council Democrats, to have them happen the same day. And uh, what were the, the kind of wonky types saying about this uh, middle-class housing project? I've never heard anyone say anything against it. Now, there are folks who would, would uh, haggle over what the amount should be. The, the final result was it was for people making 80% to 120% of the area median income. An earlier proposal had it go up to 150%. Uh-huh. Um, you know, some folks felt like, well, those people are doing well enough to maybe find housing. Some folks disagreed. So the issues were, were not about the concept, more about how exactly it would be implemented. Also, some folks on, on, I guess we'll call them the right wing or the development community, they wanted it to be a separate standalone incentive. Mm -hmm. Um, But the council said, no, the developer would first have to agree to build 10 percent of housing for low income people. Then they could build 10 percent for moderate and get another incentive as opposed to just doing it for moderate. So they have to do both. Mm -hmm. It's a process called stacking by insiders. Interesting. So um, what are the time frames for these two policies to be put into place, assuming everything gets signed? That's interesting. One thing I want to mention on the moderate, because I don't think people understand, some people may not understand it. It's called, it's a density bonus. Yeah. And some people may not understand what that is, but I think it's worth explaining to the listeners. Basically, if you're a developer and the zoning of a property allows 100 units to be constructed, you can get a 50% density bonus right? If you agree to big 10% of the units for people making low, low incomes, mm-hmm. right? So that means you could build 150 units instead of 100 units, which dramatically boosts your profit margin, right? This moderate income would build on that and say, okay, if you've done that, if you're willing to make 10% of the units for moderate income people, then you can get another 25% density bonus on top of the 50% you already got. So that's how this would work. And that would go into effect immediately. Uh-huh. Uh, it has to be approved one more time because it's an ordinance, so it probably wouldn't take effect till the fall. The other one is definitely much more slow. Uh, it's phased in over four years. It wouldn't take full effect till July 1st of 2023. Uh, it actually probably wouldn't take effect till July 1st of 2020. So it's phased in over three years, but it wouldn't take effect till a year from now. And there's no guarantee it's going to get final approval. Because it only received five votes, the mayor can veto it. Mm-hmm. And he has said he's going to consider that. Uh, most of the folks he's politically aligned with oppose it. So he could veto it. Um, and then the council would need to find a sixth vote. Potentially Vivian Moreno could flip or it won't, it won't go into law. 
Mm-hmm. And is there a chance that policy just gets through another compromise, something that's not quite as aggressive, or do you think it's this or it's gone? You know, it's interesting because Todd Gloria and Barbara Bree are the two favorites to, to win mayor in 2020. I think I, I'm guessing that would make Faulkner less likely to veto it because it seems like it's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because when Todd and, Glor- and, and Barbara get in there, I don't see them vetoing it. Barbara voted for it yesterday, mm-hmm. and Todd has proposed similar things in Sacramento. So it seems like it's inevitable it's going to happen. So I really don't know what goes on behind closed doors when I'm not there. Sometimes I wish that I, that I did. Yeah, you'd be grateful uh, for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm not really sure what, what would happen. Uh, keep in mind, one thing also to me- me- mention is that in this community, the right wing and business interests have used the referendum as a way to to overturn unpopular things in the mm-hmm. last five, six, seven years frequently. They failed on the minimum wage, but they did force it onto a ballot, and they were able to overturn the linkage fee. Uh, so they've used it, and it's possible they will use this on this, because they're definitely opposed. Mm-hmm. And I guess what now is the mood with um, city government when it comes to these intertwining problems of homelessness and housing? Do they feel like this is actually changing things or are we still like just climbing this mountain that we have to eventually scale? I think it's more climbing the mountain. I mean, and the way that everyone describes the housing thing is they're ta- you're doing incremental things. You're adding tools to the toolbox. The city has loosened rules on granny flats. They've streamlined approvals by shortening environmental timetables. You know, they've done a lot of little things that are trying to, do, to solve the problem, but it's a very, very big problem. You know, California lost redevelopment in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, the environmental laws make it harder to build. We, we don't have open tracts of land where we can build communities like Poway and Tierra Santa anymore. You have to do find a, a site within a neighborhood. So there's a lot of reasons why housing isn't getting built. It's not an easy problem to solve. Yeah, and that's why you're seeing more skyscrapers and large apartment complexes because that's pretty much all you can do in a good chunks of San Diego. And, and luckily, you could say that dovetails with the city's climate action plan mm-hmm. because Tierra Santa and Poway communities like that force a lot of commuting, which creates more carbon because people are driving on the roads. So theoretically, it's a win-win in a sense. If you build more high-rises on existing transit lines, you're going to solve the climate action plan and the housing crisis simultaneously. And on that point, do either of these plans have any special parking requirements that people often find issues with? They don't. But I should mention, when I was mentioning the list of things the city has done to try to solve the housing uh, crisis, in March, the city council approved uh, a law that says, if you are a developer, you can build a high-rise apartment building and no longer put parking in it. Mm -hmm. You're taking the risk. If no one's willing to rent there because they want a parking spot, you're going to be out the millions of dollars you spent on it. So no one's being forced to do it, but the city is giving developers an opportunity to maybe make San Diego a little bit more like New York City and Chicago and more urban areas where you have buildings where the residents don't feel they need a car. It seems like the fundamental problem of San Diego is that we were built so spread out in the beginning that now we're kind of dealing with the consequences of those decisions made, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah, you're trying to retroactively turn it into a more dense uh, area. More housing stuff is coming, though. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. Lots of tools in the toolbox on the way. All right, David Garrick, thank you so much. Thanks. In other housing news, the planned skyscraper that will replace the county's old courthouse will include affordable housing. 20% of the 37-story apartment building's units will be set aside for low-income renters. The Holland Partner Group intends to complete the demolition of the courthouse and hopefully will have a groundbreaking in April 2020. The low-income units will rent between $900 and $1,320, and renters' households would have to make less than $53,500 per year. The remaining apartments would rent at market rates, which is currently around $2,300 in downtown San Diego currently. 
Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. Try some of our other podcasts, too. Our Ideas and Opinion team hosts The Conversation, which features interviews with newsmakers and experts about San Diego news and issues. Our sports department hosts Hot Lava about all things Padres. To see all of our audio offerings, go to uniontrib.com slash podcasts. Until next time.